Uh, you might know we're having technical difficulties if you hear a humming in the speakers, but uh, thank you for the offertory music, Blessed Assurance. That's a favorite hymn of mine. We'll be starting today in 1 John chapter 5. 1 John chapter 5. And though we got to verse 11 six weeks ago, I didn't quite get through uh, some scriptures I wanted to get to related to that. So 1 John chapter 5. Verse 11, and let's uh, begin with prayer. Father, we're thankful that you've given us another opportunity to go to your word and be fed, to be nourished spiritually, to be uplifted and encouraged in your word, and to be comforted. We thank you that that gives us spiritual strength, because we know the world is against us, and Satan is against us, and our own flesh is against us. But we thank you that you give us strength to say no to self and yes to you. We pray that you would continue to give us understanding, and above that we ask for wisdom that we might apply it, that understanding of your word in our lives to be faithful to you and to be pleasing to you. And we ask this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. So 1 John chapter 5, we'll read verse 11, and the time is already short. I'll do my best to try not to go over this time. And this is the record, we saw that word means testimony or witness, that God has given to us eternal life. We talked about the word Ionian in the Greek, that word eternal means age, and then we have zoe, means life. So this is life for the age. Um, most Christians studying the Bible which isn't very many anymore, but those who are studying often see eternal life or everlasting life and immediately equate it to going to heaven. Um, but we know this verse has more meaning than that, and that's why we're looking at the scriptures related to this about how, even though we're heirs, this is part of the Sunday school lesson this morning as well that Jerry was teaching, we can be disinherited. So we want to try to avoid that. So the end of the verse in this life is in his son. So if you will, holding your place in First John, if there's time, we'll hopefully get back. But turn with me to um, Hebrews. We'll go to Hebrews first. And we'll look in um, chapter 11, Hebrews chapter 11. In this chapter is the Hall of Faith, and it... Um, gives a lot of um, scriptures that, uh, you know, give examples and brings out types from the Old Testament. And so in this, uh, we'll begin in verse 16. Oh, no, that's the wrong verse, sorry. Um, sorry about that. I had it memorized here. If somebody sees the verse about Esau, that's what I'm looking for, but I, what's that, so, uh, well, I'm, I thought it was in chapter 11, but I might have written down the wrong thing, I apologize, uh, but we'll, 20, thank you, I appreciate that, um, so we'll begin in verse 20, mentions, by face Isaac blessed Jacob and Esau concerning things to come, so that's one thing related to that. But there's a story behind that and what happened. And so I want us to, uh, you can leave Hebrews for now, and turn with me, if you will, 
to Genesis, and we'll actually look at what happened and what transpired. You know, when I was uh, growing up in church in Sunday school, they taught the lesson about Jacob and Esau and what happened and the, the fact that Isaac blessed Jacob instead of Esau, though Esau was the firstborn. And it was taught as though Jacob was the bad guy because what he did in his deception to get his father Jacob um, to you know, go along with uh, you know, believing that he was Esau and getting the blessing. So I was taught that, but we realized the fact was Esau didn't value his birthright. So we'll look at Genesis beginning in chapter... Um, Start in Genesis chapter 19, not 19, sorry, chapter, oh goodness, for some reason I forgot to write down all the chapters, but I'll hopefully, oh goodness, um, hopefully I'll find it quickly, chapter, thank you, chapter 27, I appreciate that, and we'll start in verse 29, I believe it is, 27, 29. Let's see. Um, Not that one, sorry. Oh, goodness. I apologize. I thought I had all that written down, and I don't. This is chapter 34. If somebody finds it, just uh, shout out, but I'll try to talk about the story. The idea is that, as you know, the um, Esau was out hunting, and he came in, and he was really hungry. And he couldn't, um, he was so hungry, Jacob had fixed a pot of, it says, uh, pottage, which we would call stew or soup. And we find out that there's significance there in the fact that it, it mentions the color red. Um, red was the, um, you know, has significance in the scripture for color. But the name Edom, the reason Esau's name was Edom is in the Hebrew, that word sounds like the word red. And it has significance to the color of the, the beans that were used in the soup. And the whole idea was that Esau decided he would rather have that, and he agreed with Jacob to sell his birthright. So he decided that the birthright uh, was not important. And then later, a few chapters later, where it goes into the deception of how um, his mother says, well, you know, he, well, he tells Esau, because he, he's getting ready to die, J- Jacob is, and he tells um, Esau to go, I'm not Jacob, sorry, I'm getting confused. Isaac tells uh, his son Esau to go out and get him some fresh game. In the Bible it says venison, um, but it could be other wild game because most of the meat they ate were domestic animals that they raised. But he liked that wild taste. And so Esau went out hunting. In the meantime, Rebekah, his mother, said to Jacob, I want you to go uh, out and get two young goats, and I'll fix them and prepare them, and then you can go in and she took, the remember, the skins of the goat, the hair, and put it on his neck and on his hands so that his father, although Isaac was almost completely blind, would be thinking that it's Esau. So all of that transpired, and uh, Jacob goes in then, and he says, are you, are you, who are you? Because he recognizes the voice as Jacob's, but then he feels him, and he says, oh yeah, those are the hands of Esau, and he gives him the blessing, and we know that because of that, then Esau comes in later, and the scripture in Hebrews brings out the fact that even though um, Esau was crying, he was weeping, and he begged his father to give another blessing, but the blessing had already been given, 
And the thing was that ultimately the mistake Esau made was back when that pot of stew was more important than the birthright. So all of that is another example that as Christians, we know that our um, life in the coming age can be disinherited or we can be disapproved. So all that is brought out in that type. Now if we go back to 1 John chapter 5, we'll continue in verse 12, 1 John 5, 12. He that hath the Son hath life, and he that hath not the Son of God hath not life. So again, um, and I think Jerry was pointing out when he was uh, going through some of these scriptures about the definite articles. Sometimes the translators didn't put them in there, but sometimes it puts in emphasis. So this is the same life, though, that's spoken of in verse 11. He that hath the Son hath life, and he that hath not the Son of God hath not life. In verse 13 it says, These things have I written to you that believe. Now, this is something Jerry was pointing out in Sunday school when he was going through this, that the tense in the Greek here is believing. It's in present tense. So there are believing in the name of the Son of God. So not just believed once in the past, but continue to believe. That ye may know that ye have eternal life. And that ye may believe, he's talking to us already believers, that you may believe on the name of the Son of God. So, as Jerry was pointing out, the, the tense, present, active. And so he's giving this as, a, as an admonishment to us as believers that we continue believing. I also think of the book of Hebrews where chapter 4, chapter, into chapter 3 and going into 4, where it talks about what I call unbelieving believers. That is, believers who believe in the Lord Jesus Christ as their Savior, but they're not continuing to have faith in the Christian life to continue to believe. So we see that here in verse uh, 13. Now if you look at verse 14, And this is the confidence that we have in him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. But notice the phrase, according to his will. That's very important. And this came up earlier in 1 John, and we went to James before, but I want us to go there again to look at that scripture. So if you turn back it's a little bit to James, you have to get past first and second Peter to get to James. And we'll look at James chapter four. James chapter four. We'll go ahead and start in verse two, although it's the end of the verse that I wanted to point out. He says, Ye lust and have not, ye kill and desire to have and cannot obtain, ye fight in war. Yet, here's the point I want us to be reminded, ye have not because ye ask not. So first of all, James is telling us that sometimes the reason we don't have is because we don't ask. Now God has asked us to come to him with our petitions and to make requests and to ask him. So we know that we need, it's not because he doesn't know what we already need, but he wants us to ask. So that's number one. And then this brings out what, to go along with First John, verse 3 here. Ye ask and receive not because ye ask amiss. There's something wrong in the asking. The motive of asking is wrong. It says that ye may consume it upon your lust, your own desires, your, what you want as opposed to what God's will is. So that always in Scripture, we can't just take one Scripture out of context. Because I remember a preacher once when I was growing up, I heard him say that, you know, when he was telling the congregation, he said, um, if you want a new car, you ask God for a new car, and you get a new car because it says whatever you ask, you get. 
And whatever it is you want, you just ask for You want a million dollars, you ask for a million dollars. And then, of course, they explain if you don't get it, it's because you didn't have enough faith or something. Um, but, again, James points out that sometimes we don't get it because we're asking for the wrong reasons. And rather than trusting God and knowing already that he knows what we need more than we do, so we're to ask for his will. This goes along also what Jerry was teaching in Sunday school today when Jesus was in the garden praying, and he said, if there be any other way, let this cup pass from me. But he said, nevertheless, not my will, Jesus said, not my will, but thine be done. So he is our example. And he prayed, he asked what he wanted for, but he prayed ultimately for the Father's will. Not my will, but thine be done. So when we ask, as long as we're, it's First John, we come back here, First John chapter 5, it says, if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. Now, of course, hearing, God hears everything. But the idea of the hearing is he responds. Um, you know, the, the idea of he's, he puts a deaf ear and doesn't listen. First of all, he doesn't hear any lost person. Lost person cannot pray because they don't have the Holy Spirit, which is our intercessor takes the prayer for us through Christ to the Father. So we can't, a lost person can't pray. When a, you know, that this whole thing about let's get a lost person to pray and ask Jesus to come into their heart and, this, and the whole thing that most of us probably did when we were, didn't know any better. It's okay for them to pray, but once they believe they can pray, that they've already believed in the Lord Jesus Christ as their Savior, and then they can pray and thank God for saving them. But that's different. The same is true of a carnal Christian, though. A carnal Christian who's out of the will of the Father, God will not listen. He will not hear their prayer, just as he cannot hear the prayer of the lost person in the sense of responding or paying attention to it. So, if we're in his will and asking for his will, he will hear us. Verse 15. And if we know that he hears us whatsoever we ask, we know that we have the petitions that we desired of him. If any man's... Now, by the way, the next few scriptures are, are probably debated a lot um, in the Bible, but I want to try to point out a couple things that might help, and this might be different than you've ever heard it before. But verse 16. If any man, that word is from the Greek word anthropon, which we get anthropology, it means person, human, but in this context it's talking about any Christian. Because we're, he's not writing this to lost people, he's writing it to us, we're believers. So if any believer see his brother, that would be a fellow believer. So don't, you know, I always try to repeat this because there are people out there saying that the Bible is sexist because it doesn't say sister as well as the brothers. But the idea is brother was used to mean all believers. So this is fellow believers. If we see, we notice something about another believer, it says sin a sin. Now, you might have heard other people say this. In the Greek, there are no indefinite articles. It means the word a or an. There's either the, which is a definite article, or there's no article at all. So you can actually take that out because I think the word a here is causing people to misinterpret what it's saying. First of all, the first word sin, though, is a verb, and the second one is a noun. So if you remember your grammar when you were studying in English, which I, I happen to love grammar. I was telling Jerry, and he had the same love. I love diagramming sentences. I thought that was fun. That was my second best love to doing math. So, But anyway, so if a Christian sees a fellow believer, another believer, sinning sin, 
which is not unto death. Now, let's pause a moment about death here. Um, we always have to rightly divide the word, so we've got to look at the context. Same thing with the word life. Let's think about life a moment, then we'll think about death. There are three kinds of life. Most people only can think of two in most churches. I know in this church you understand there are three. There's physical life. We all know what that is. There's spiritual life, which we talk about has to do with our believing in the Lord Jesus Christ and then one day getting to go to heaven. So that's spiritual life. Then there's what I like to call solical life because that has to do with life in the coming age, the kingdom age, ruling and reigning with Christ. So that's three kinds of life. The same thing with death. There's physical death, there's spiritual death, and there's solical death. So I first want to talk about um, spiritual death. We know this scripture in verse 16 can't be talking about that because there's no sin that a Christian can do which would cause them to lose their salvation, their spiritual salvation. That can't happen. We know because the context and the teaching of the scripture and rightly dividing it, we can eliminate the possibility that this is talking about spiritual death. A Christian can't be saved and then get lost again. So, we're not talking about noticing a Christian sinning some kind of sin that is not going to cause them to lose their salvation or the other way around, depending on when we get later in the verse. But So, let's talk about uh, physical death. Well, I suppose some people could make that argument. You could use examples where Paul wrote to the church at Corinth and he's, he's upset because they come in to take the Lord's Supper and, and they have the feast beforehand and they said, said did you never eat before? They, everybody was coming in who could get in the line first. Um, I remember um, my parents' church down in Florida, they spent a couple million dollars to build this huge, huge area uh, so they could put out a lot of tables and be able to feed people. And there's no long, nothing wrong with getting together to eat physical food. But it was interesting to me that the sanctuary, when it came time for church, there was hardly anybody you know, there in the pews. But, they, but when it came time to eat, people were everywhere. People that you know, said, I can't come to church because I've got to work, they somehow would get their work schedule changed because they wanted to be there for the physical food. So, and I, I'm preaching to myself when I talk about physical food. So anyway, I love to eat too. But I love the spiritual food. I, so that I know is more important. And as Christians, we should realize that. So, um, we talk about uh, physical death. Well, and Paul said to the Corinthians, you know, that they didn't consider, they didn't look at their lives and see if there was something that would cause them to partake of the Lord's Supper unworthily. It's an adverb. Um, meaning that they were out of favor with God. They weren't in his will. And then he said, some are weak and sickly among you, and some of you sleep, which is the word meaning death. So I suppose you could argue that, but here's my question. If it's physical death, how would you know that by seeing, looking at another Christian, knowing that they're doing some sin that could cause physical death? Well, I suppose you could think about long-term effects, like maybe they're uh, not eating healthily and you would realize that that eventually would harm their physical life. So I suppose that could be argued, but I wanted to propose to you that this I think it's talking about solical death, whether we um, get to rule and reign in the coming kingdom or not. So if a fellow Christian sees another, if a Christian sees another Christian sinning sin, which is not unto death, he shall ask and he shall give him life for those that sin not unto death. Now, what I propose to you, since it doesn't have the indefinite article there, it's just talking about sin, I believe it could be any sin. I could be, I think the same sin could be sin unto death and sin not unto death, 
depending on, for instance, uh, when a Christian gets to the point where they are in a certain sin that is practicing it and doing it continuously, whether it's a sin of commission or a sin of omission, something they should be doing and they're not doing. Like uh, Brother Allen was just talking about coming to church, the importance of the church and fellowshipping. Not coming to church and consistently not doing that is a sin because we're told to fellowship together. We need to come together. That's important. So that is a sin of omission, things that we should do and don't do. So if a Christian is, whether it's omission or commission, and they're continuing in it, um, then that's a Christian, so to speak, shaking their fist at God. It's described, as Paul describes in Corinthians, a carnal Christian. And they're saying, I don't care what you say. I am going to continue to do whatever I want to do. That's a description of a carnal Christian. So, um, now somebody might miss church, and that's a sin, and we get to, let's jump ahead for a moment. Let's look at verse 17. All unrighteousness is sin. Now, why would he bother to say that? Because some people might take the conclusion that only some sins are bad, or, you know, one or two sins are bad, and the others really aren't bad. All unrighteousness is sin. So it doesn't matter what the sin is. But he says, and there is sin not unto death. It means that not all sin will cause a Christian to end up losing their soul in the coming age, that is, to rule and reign with Christ. So, I think the way we can see and tell the difference is if we see a fellow believer who is practicing sin and continuing in it and shaking their fists in God, that, I believe, is a sin unto death. However, if we see a Christian, and I, think, I also think of the scripture that Jerry just read in Galatians this morning. When you see someone overtaken, it said, in a fault, he said, those who are spiritual go to them with meekness. So that's something that we should be noticing as Christians, although it's usually easier to notice. Well, I say that. Um, Jesus was talking about, you know, you can't take the log out of someone's eye until you get the... I mean, the speck out of someone's eye to get the log out of your own. So we tend to minimize any things that we have in our lives. Everything else looks gigantic to us, and we want to try to... The tendency is to fix other Christians, and we should be taking care of ourselves. But I think when we keep looking at this, um, the idea is we can tell if, if it's a Christian just shaking their fists at God and saying, I refuse... Or if it's a Christian that we need to go to them in meekness because they've been overtaken in something that's overtaken in their life and we pray for them so they can get back in fellowship with God and hear, well done, thou faithful servant. That's what I think this, these scriptures are talking about. So let's finish verse 16. I'll read again. If any man see his brother sin, sin, which is not to death... He shall ask and shall give him life for those that sin not unto death. There is sin. The reason I I don't read the word ah, because some people say there is one particular sin. I've heard people say, well, you know, a lot of people talk about the unpardonable sin, and they describe that as a um, person, um, like I've heard people say, that's suicide. Um, There is no sin that can't be forgiven. So there's, I don't, so anyway, that's, I don't agree with that. But anyway, there's, People that teach that and they come up. If you check closely, the unpardonable sin was a person saying that Jesus was performing the miracles, or the disciples who had the power to do the same, 
but doing it not by the power of the Holy Spirit. They were blaspheming the Holy Spirit. That was the unpardonable sin that the nation of Israel was doing and claiming that the miracles were not done by the Holy Spirit. They were blaspheming the Holy Spirit of God. So, in any case, here we see, in the end of verse 16, there is sin to death. I do not say that he shall pray for it. Um, you know, I suppose we might not know for sure if it might be a possibility. He's not. I don't think that John is saying that definitely that we can't pray. We might think somebody's a Christian's a lost cause, and they've decided to live a path that is not pleasing to God, and they're going to continue in it. But all things are possible with God. So he's just saying that the likelihood is they're going to continue on that path, and when they get to the judgment seat here, depart from me ye that work iniquity, for I never knew you. That's talking about a spiritual intimacy uh, in their Christian lives and not being able to rule and reign in the coming kingdom. So we read verse 17, all unrighteousness is sin, and there is sin not unto death. Verse 18 now. We know that whosoever is born of God, and we talked about this as we went through the book, this is a phrase that is unique to the book of John, because usually you read born of God and you say, oh, well, that's talking about all believers. But we've borne that out as we went through, that it's more than that. We know that whosoever is born of God sins not. Now, if you, if you ignored the first part of John, which you'd have to do to claim this means Christians can be perfect, then First John 1 didn't make any sense to that Christian, apparently, because we still sin. The whole thing he was talking about sin, Christians still sin. This is talking in the, in the idea of that continuing in sin. So, if we're in fellowship with him, which is the idea of born of God, then we don't continue practicing any particular sin. But he that is begotten of God keeps himself, and that wicked one touches him not. And we're almost out of time, so we'll try to finish up here at least First John. And we know that we are of God, and the whole world lies in wickedness. The word wickedness here could be um, literally the wicked one or the evil one. So the, the difference is when you look at the world, which would include lost people and carnal Christians, they are in the sense of lies and wickedness. The idea is they're being controlled by the evil one. You're saying Christians can be controlled by Satan? Yes. Yes, we can be if we are not staying close in fellowship with the Lord Jesus Christ. He can affect us, and he's got a lot of Christians on the wrong track, a lot of churches on the wrong track. If you think about it, why would Satan worry about churches where the Christians are not getting fed spiritually? And then you just let them go. It's just a place of, and answer one of Jerry's questions, um, I mean, um, Alan's questions. I think most churches, the ones that are growing anyway, it's, it's a place to be entertained. You know, the scripture where it talks about um, itching ears. They want to be, that is entertained. They want their ears to be tickled, so to speak, or to be scratched. The idea is to be entertained in a lot of churches. You know, there's these big mega churches, and I'm not saying all of them, but a majority of them, it's a place to go be entertained. Or it's a place where there's more activities. And that to some Christians is more important than the spiritual food that we need to grow so we can be faithful to God. So, verse 20, we know 
that the Son of God is come and hath given us an understanding. And we know as we study in the Scriptures, we have the Holy Spirit who is our teacher, and you can compare um, Colossians and Ephesians to see that the Holy Spirit's equated with the Word. So the understanding, He's given us the ability to understand the Scriptures. That doesn't mean we understand them all and we can continue to grow, but it means that we might or might not, depending on whether we study has given us an understanding that we may know him. Well, we already know him as our Savior. He's already, we're already saved. We're going to heaven. But this is knowing him more intimately, having a spiritual intimacy with him so that we can rule with him in the coming kingdom because that is the requirement to do so. That we may know him that is true, that we are in him that is true, in his son Jesus Christ. This is the true God and eternal life. And then we'll close with the last verse here, which you might say, well, this is interesting. Why is this? It's like it's thrown in all of a sudden. But this was a, a problem. It was a problem then. It's still a problem today. Although I think when people see the word idols, they think about a statue. That's what most people, I, that's what I always did. I thought, a statue. Well, a statue can be an idol. Anything that a Christian places first before God in their lives is an idol. It doesn't have to be a statue. It could be exercise. There's nothing wrong with exercise. Uh, we need physical exercises, important, and it's a good thing to do. It's not as important as spiritual exercise, but it's important, and it's a good thing. But I have seen Christians where that has become their God. They could care less about being in church, but they will not miss their time in the gym or wherever it is they go to do the exercise. And that has become their God. They are worshiping their bodies. And it's a good thing to be healthy and to take care of them. But that has become their God. So it can be something intangible, something that is not seen. You know, when the, the first, other than um, Islam, which broke off in 622 AD, you know, we had the Roman church was the first you know, you could do, if you do your history where Constantine marched the soldiers through and pronounced them baptized. But we had the Roman church. Then in 622, Islam started. The first break off from the church, though, is from, from the Roman church, was in 1013, and that was uh, the Orthodox churches. And their main concern, they didn't like the idols, that, you know, the statues that were in the uh, Catholic church. So they had what they called icons. But, you know, if you think about it, whether you have a statue or a picture that reminds you, the same thing can happen as you can actually worship that icon or that picture as you can worship a statue. And so that's why God has, in the commandments, said, Thou shalt make no graven image. Um, he knows that we as humans have that tendency to worship those things. So he says in verse 21, Little children, keep yourselves from idols. That could be a lot of different things. And then closes with the word amen, which means so be it. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for the time and your word again this morning. We pray your will in our lives that we would look at ourselves and make sure that if there is sin that is causing us to be out of your will and we're continuing in it, that you would cause us to come to repentance and come back to you and be in fellowship with you. Because without it, we know we will not hear the words, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. We pray this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.